Ecclesiastes chapter 3. A time for everything. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart, in the human heart, and yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Yet each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does this so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call to and call and God will call the past to account. I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity and a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit arises, rises upwards and if the spirit of the animal goes into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to, walk, than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Uh, if you're here for the first time today, my name's uh, Carl Dienick. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to be looking at those words together. But before we do that, let's ask that God would give us understanding uh, to understand what he wants us to, uh, to hear from him. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you do speak to us, that you speak to us in your word. Uh, Lord, that you speak words that reflect uh, the world that we live in and the reality that we experience. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you've given us those words in Ecclesiastes uh, that Kimmy's just read for us. And Lord, we pray that as we reflect on them, that you would speak to us, that you would 
uh, reveal to us the significance of our lives uh, and, uh, Lord, the importance of knowing you and trusting you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Put up your hand if you've ever had one of those dreams where you're trying to run away from something uh, and you don't seem to be going anywhere, you know, sort of just running on the spot. Has anyone had one of those those dreams? Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, They're normally nightmares, aren't they? They're normally nightmares when you have a dream like that uh, because you're trying to get away from something and as hard as you try, you just don't seem to be able to move anywhere. And, and I think dreams like that uh, kind of uncover often the, the, the kind of fear that we have that we will be in a situation like that, that we will be in a situation where we're trapped and we can't get away. I don't know about you, but when I was young, uh, you know, and, uh, and you had fears about certain things, you know, that uh, someone would come in and, uh, and attack, you know, everyone in the building or something, you know, you always get away, don't you? You know, it, it, in your imagining, you always think, yes, and then I'll do this and then I'll, I'll do that and I'll get away. But our fear is that maybe actually that won't happen. Maybe it'll be like in the dream and we'll run and run and run, but actually we don't get away. In many, in many ways, life uh, is like that, uh, though we often don't like to admit it. We think that we can do what we want, go where we want, achieve what we want, uh, but, but really, actually, life sometimes is like those dreams where we're running and can't get uh, to go where we want. And really, that's what Ecclesiastes 3 is all about. It's about helping us to face up to that reality, We don't like to face up to that reality, but Ecclesiastes 3 wants to peel back the curtain and expose that truth to us. Well, the chapter begins with that really what seems to be a lovely poem, isn't it? A poem about the ups and downs of life. There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the sun, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal. Uh, and it's true, isn't it? As we look around the world, that's the kind of thing that we see. One day it's rainy and the next day it's sunny. Uh, you know, one day it's 28 degrees and the next day it's, you know, 16. Uh, one day you're healthy, the next day you're sick. One day it's winter and then all of a, su- all of a sudden it's spring again. Uh, there was a song based on these verses, I don't know if you know it, by Pete Seeger in the 50s. I can see all the old people nodding and uh, uh, <laughs> <there are laughs> one or two old people not, not nodding. Uh, there is a season, you know. There is a season to... You know that one? I wasn't going to sing it, but I can't help myself. <laughs> you know, and it's a lovely ballad, you know. It's a ballad about life. Uh, it's, it, it's kind of this, this lovely ballad that's, that's giving this sense of uh, a wonderful world, uh, an exciting world. There's a season for everything. But actually, this poem here in this chapter is not a poem. It's not a nice poem about how things ebb and flow and it's all lovely and isn't life wonderful. It's actually a poem about the frustratingness of life, the frustrating reality of life. It's about how one day you're doing one thing and the next day you're doing another thing and you can't actually control it. 
my parents recently celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, and we got together as a family in Coffs Harbour and we planned for it. They'd been thinking about what we would do for a number of years. They had different ideas and in the end we thought, let's go to Coffs Harbour. We'll kind of reenact what we used to do uh, as a family and we'll, we'll kind of uh, celebrate in that way. We had great plans. Of course, then COVID struck. Uh, and so we spent most of last year thinking, well, is that going to happen or not? Well, eventually the borders opened and we all managed from all the different states, we all managed to get to Coffs Harbour. We set up our tents, six o'clock at night, almost the minute that we finished setting up the tents and the caravans, it started to rain. It rained 140 millimetres over the next hours to nine o'clock the next morning. And it pretty much rained solidly about 80 to 100 millimetres for the next four days. We would look at the weather app and we, if it was only 20 millimetres, we'd go, oh, it's hardly anything. You could do anything on a day with 20 millimetres. We spent the first half of the holiday looking at the weather app. We spent the second half of the holiday looking at the unfolding COVID situation and wondering whether we had to evacuate at any moment so that we could get home to where we came from. It was a lovely holiday, but... Do you know, it wasn't the holiday that we had planned. <laughs> to say the least, David. A couple in my brother's church got married last week, uh, or the week before, I can't actually remember when it was now, but uh, it was the day that they were supposed to get married was the day after, it was the Saturday, on Friday they woke up and the, and the, the Brisbane government, the, the Queensland government, announced a three-day lockdown beginning at 6pm that night. Their well-laid plans for their wedding for the most important day in their whole lives were suddenly thrown, thrown into chaos. In a few hours, they, they managed to rejig everything so that in a few hours they had the wedding ceremony on Friday afternoon. They had to jettison the reception and they're hoping to have that uh, at some other time. That's what the writer is talking about. Great plans, great ideas, no control. One day things are going well, the next day things are falling apart. One day you're keeping on top of the finances, you're putting food on the table, you're paying off the mortgage. The next day the car breaks down, it completely dies and you've got to buy a car and you don't have the money for it. One day you're starting out building a career, the next day you've lost your job. There's a downturn in your industry, there's no future there. One day you're training for an event... The next day you're doing an injury and you can't compete. One day you're beginning year 11 and 12, you're looking forward to uh, what you'll do after university and the next day you've fallen sick with a chronic illness, you have to give up on, on that year. You fall behind your friends, you can't keep up. One day your business is soaring, the next day you're shutting the doors forever. One day you've got your whole life in front of, the, front of you and the next day you're diagnosed with cancer and you have a few months to live. One day you're welcoming another child into your family, and the next day you're grieving their unexpected death. And the thing is, no matter what you do, you can't stop any of those things. You can't change them. You can't make this happen and not that. Not that, but this. The teacher says in verse 9, what do workers gain from all their toil? No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can't guarantee the future. You can't make your business a success. 
You can't guarantee that tomorrow will be like the today or whatever else you want it to be. As the teacher says in, uh, in chapter 9, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. But time and chance happen to them all. Think of Will Pukowski. I don't know if you know who Will Pukowski is. Some of you will. He just made his debut in the test, uh, the cricket test match in Sydney for the Australian team. He'd been waiting for ages. Undoubtedly an incredible talent. But his uh, entry to the, uh, to the test side was delayed by concussion. He kept getting hit in the head. He couldn't play. He finally could play. He could play in Sydney. He made 60 in the first innings and then he hurt his shoulder diving across the field. He can't play. He's not playing at the moment in Brisbane. Time and chance happen to them all. doesn't matter how hard you work. Time and chance happen to them all. The deceit of our age, the lie that we're told, the lie that we believe, is that we can control everything, that we can control our lives, even that we can control the world. It's the message of every Disney movie. You can be whatever you want to be. You know, actually, you can't be. You can do whatever you want to do. You just have to try hard enough. Do you know what? You can't. We don't control events. Events control us. The technology that we have around us and the world that we live makes us think that we have more control often than we really do. Cancer, we'll find a treatment. Motor neurone disease, we just need more money. If we can get more money into research, we'll find a solution. Drought, we'll just new, new quotas. Coronavirus, we just need a vaccine. Sure, we can make a difference here and there, but by and large, the truth is we're not in control. So that's the first thing that God tells us we need to accept. We have to realise that. We have to accept it. We have to realise that we're not in control. The second thing we have to realise is that our lack of control uh, and the daily reminder, if you like, of our lack of control, that isn't an accident. It's actually God's plan. The teacher says in verse 10, I see the burden God has laid on the human race. It's not an accident that the world is like this. It's a burden that God has placed on us. He's put it there on purpose. What is the burden that he's placed on us? Well, he says in verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The burden is that God has set the times. He's decided that today it will be like this and tomorrow it will be like that. He's decided that today we will be born and tomorrow we will die. Uh, And not only has God set the plans, the times and not us, we can't even figure out what the plan is. You know, we could maybe say, oh, well, okay, well, today is like this. But why is today like this? Why is today 20 degrees and next Saturday 28 degrees? Why? I often have trouble uh, sleeping, not really badly, you know, it's just, but it's just enough that it's annoying. You know, and that you have those nights every now and again and you go, oh, what on earth is going on? Uh, and I often spend a lot of my time 
thinking about, why am I not sleeping? Why didn't I sleep well last night, but I slept well the night before? Was it something that I ate? Was it something that I didn't eat? Was it that I was too hot? Was I too cold? Was it that I didn't do enough exercise? Did I maybe do too much exercise? The assumption behind all those thoughts is, isn't it, that the mystery can be unravelled? that we can actually work out what it is that's going on and that if we could only work it out, then we could solve the problem. We could fix it. We could fix our lives and fix our world. As I said before, medical advances have allowed us to think that whatever our problem, we can solve it. We can find a diagnosis and we can find a solution, but we often can't. The assumption is uh, that we make is that we can control the world by knowing and understanding what's going on. If only I knew why I didn't sleep, I could solve that problem. But the writer of Ecclesiastes says, God says to us, you can't work it out always. God has made the world beautiful in its time. Today is like this, tomorrow is like that. It's God's plan and not ours. And while there are many things that we might be able to work out, there are far more things that we will never be able to discover. The complexity of our world is is such that only God can comprehend it. How tiny minds can't understand the trillions and trillions of interactions that happen in our world that cause this to happen and not that. That idea... Uh, that by knowing what's really going on, we can control what happens, that idea lies behind actually many of the conspiracy theories that float around in our world today. The idea is that if we can only know the secret plans and schemes of whoever it might be, if we can only find that out and discover that, then we can control our destiny and we can fix the world and we can protect our lives. There was an article last year uh, toward the beginning of the coronavirus written by a lady who wrote about her experience of being drawn in, sucked in to conspiracy theories when her husband developed a brain tumour. She uh, refused to accept the explanation uh, that there was no obvious cause for why her husband had developed this tumour. She was led down, instead, what she describes as a dark internet rabbit hole trying to find explanations in uh, dangerous chemicals or environmental carcinogens, things that cause cancer, uh, or even the idea that powerful doctors behind the scenes had some secret plot to, dis- to deliver substandard uh, medical care to her husband. She noted in her article that finding possible explanations made her feel in control she could somehow respond to the situation. If there was no obvious cause, she was powerless. If she could explain it, there was something that she could do. And whether it's fanciful ideas, like the Holocaust never happened but was a Jewish conspiracy, 
or the idea that September 11 was a false flag attack by America against its own citizens, or that coronavirus is a move by the WHO and the UN to form a one-world government, or the ridiculous idea that 5G causes or amplifies coronavirus, or the idea that the American election was rigged by cannibalistic pedophiles who are trying to bring down America. All those ideas are desperate attempts to know so that we can control the world around us. That same author I mentioned before wrote this. She said, such narratives typically point to the existence of secret plots by powerful actors working behind the scenes, either to cause horrible chaos or to fabricate it. The anger we then feel toward those powerful actors is accompanied by a feeling of efficacy, confidence in our ability to effectively navigate the world, hence increasing the likelihood that we will take action by engaging in political participation, protest, or in the case of a loved one's medical situation, maybe filing a lawsuit. Whether it's being sucked into the dark internet rabbit hole or just binging on news or social media, often those things are an attempt that we make to understand the world so that we can control it. But the teacher of Ecclesiastes says, God says to us, we can't do it. We can't control the world. We can't know the world. We can't know and understand everything that's going on. And even if we could understand everything, we couldn't control it anyway. Why is the world like that? The teacher says in verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it. Why? So that people will fear him. Why is the world incomprehensible? Why does this happen today and that tomorrow? God does it so that we would fear him. The world is like that so that we would realise that we're not in control. And so that having realised we're not in control, we would trust God. The world is like that so that we give up trying to be God ourselves and as the teacher says in verse 22, we just enjoy instead the work that God has put before us to do. Stop trying to control the world and just do the simple daily tasks that God has put in front of us to do. Make the dinner. Tidy the house, go to work, clean the car. Don't understand the world and fix it. Just enjoy the things that God has put in front of you to do. You can't control events in America by watching the news. You can't control the global pandemic by trying to unearth a crazy conspiracy about who caused it. Neither can you control your life by staying up to all hours of the night researching your medical condition. So let go, fear God, and serve him where he's placed you in the good works he's prepared in advance for you to do. We're not in control. We need to realise that, accept that, and receive the good gifts that come from God. Finally, though, uh, you might think if, what we, if we can't control the world, then our actions really don't matter. If we can't control the world because God does, well, maybe what we do doesn't really matter. Uh, But the teacher says, while it looks like that maybe on the surface, the truth is actually what we do does matter. 
not because it leads us to control the world, uh, but for another reason. The teacher says on the surface it looks like our actions don't matter because there doesn't appear to be any consequences for evil. He says when you look at the world around you, all these people are doing evil things, but they don't seem to pay any price for it. Verse 16, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. That is, people do the wrong thing and they just seem to get away, away with it. What's, what's the point uh, of living uh, a life for God when it doesn't seem to, to achieve anything and when those who, who live an evil life just seem to get away with it? What's the point? The second reason he says that is because he says if you look at the ultimate end of the righteous and the ungodly alike, well, they just both end up in the same place. They both die. Human beings like animals, they just, their bodies end up in in, in the earth. So what's the point? How we live doesn't matter. But the teacher says that's not true. He says what we do does matter, despite all appearances. What we do does matter because God will bring every deed into judgment. Verse 15, whatever has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Or verse 17, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. What you and I do matters because God will bring it into judgment. It matters not because we can control the outcome of our lives in what we do, but because God will bring it into judgment. That's a terrifying thought, I think, without the gospel, That is, without the good news that through Jesus, uh, death on the cross, we can be saved from the judgment that we deserve. Without that good news, the thought of standing before God and giving an account to him of every action and every deed is a terrifying thought. Because without Jesus, we deserve that judgment. All of us have lived lives rejecting God, doing our own thing. We failed to love him as we ought. We failed to love one another as we ought. We failed to live in his world according to his plan and purpose. To stand before God and to be judged on our own account without Christ is a terrifying thought. But if we stand before God in the hope of the gospel, if we trust in Jesus' death in our place and submit to him, then we stand before God acquitted. The judgment has been paid in in Jesus. That doesn't mean, though, that our actions don't matter. We still have to give an account, the Bible says, but we will give an account to our Father rather than our judge. If we stand before God in Jesus, we'll give an account to our Father rather than our judge. While our actions don't control our lives, they do matter to God. And so the teacher of Ecclesiastes wants us to reimagine how we make decisions in our lives. If you're honest with yourself, you probably make decisions on the basis of 
what this or that action will help you to achieve. You probably make decisions on the basis of wanting this action to result in a particular outcome. I'm doing this so that that will happen. I'm doing this so that I will live a better life. I'm doing this so that I'll be more secure. We make decisions because we want to control the outcome. But the teacher wants us not to think in those terms. He wants us to think in these terms instead. Not what will the outcome be, but what will God think of this? Not how will this make my life better, but how will it please God? The teacher, God, wants us to rethink the basis on which we make our decisions. He wants us to think about what pleases God rather than what suits us. But not only does this view of the world, God's ultimate judgment, reshape our actions and our decisions, it also reshapes the way that we think about the world around us as well. You see, if we can't control the world in even our own lives, then that also means that we can't control the world around us for the lives of others either. We can't bring justice for every worldly injustice. And while we might try, insofar as we are loving God and loving our neighbour, the good news is that we don't have to sort out every injustice in the world. We don't need to be the judge of the world because God is the judge of the world. We can see evil in the world, we can be powerless to stop it, and we can accept that we are powerless to stop it, and we can trust that God will see justice done. We don't have to worry about whether we've been hoodwinked by the WHO and the UN who are trying to form a one-world government or something like that. We don't have to worry about those kinds of outrageous injustice. We don't have to worry that maybe a cannibalistic uh, cabal of pedophiles is trying to overtake the US in the most unlikely event that that would be. We don't have to worry about those things because, you know what, God is in control and God will see justice done. Even in the worst case, even in the worst, the worst imaginable thing, even if that were to happen, God is in control and God will see justice done. You and I don't control the world and we don't have to. We don't even control our own lives. We can trust God. We can enjoy the good gifts that he gives to us and do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do every day through Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the truthfulness of your word which speaks uh, into the experience of our lives. Lord, an experience uh, that we know to be true but we try so hard uh, not to believe. Lord, we want to believe that we're in control, that we are masters of our own lives and masters of our own destiny. 
and masters, Lord, not only perhaps of our own lives and destiny, but even uh, masters of, of the lives and the destiny of those around us, whether that's our spouse uh, or our friends or our children, uh, our colleagues. Uh, Lord, we, we think that we are more powerful than we really are. And, Lord, the truth is that actually we can't, can't control it, anything. Uh, Lord... It's simply by your grace that life unfolds as it does and you have made everything beautiful in its time. Lord, uh, we want to acknowledge that this morning uh, and we want to confess our sin in seeking to control our lives and order our lives uh, in the way that we want. Lord, forgive us for that uh, and help us, Lord, to, to reshape our thinking around what you desire. Help us to ask Lord, not how will this help me, but what will you think of it? Uh, help us to relinquish control of our lives to you uh, and to just simply accept the good gifts that you give to us. Lord, thank you that actually that is freeing and liberating uh, and that actually there is great joy uh, in knowing the truths of these chapters. Lord, we, we want to pray too that you would help us to share this truth with those around us. Lord, there are so many people in our world who don't know you and who are trying to uh, control their lives and who are being driven to misery because of that. Lord, we pray that you would help us, perhaps this week, to speak these truths into their lives uh, so that they might accept also that they're not in control but that you are uh, and that you offer grace to them uh, in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.